0: Thank you, Angela. Let's look to God in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this, another opportunity to look into your word as we continue on the Lenten series. We pray that you would teach us and not only give us additional information, but that our lives will be changed, will be transformed by the renewing that you do within it. We pray, O God, that your word would bring forth fruit. Through Christ we pray. Amen. It was just recently that I finished reading the second novel in the Return to Northkill series that Irvin Stutzman has written a a trilogy of novels about. And usually while reading, and that, that novel is called Joseph's Dilemma, and usually while reading, I think how the and expect how the novel will end, how the author will have this novel conclude. But this particular one was very, very different. The novel surprised me greatly because the author had embedded in the novel an unexpected twist, some details that did not turn out the way I had expected And therefore, it ended completely differently than what I had anticipated. Now in the passage that we're looking at this morning, in John 12, verses 1 to 8, there is also an unexpected twist in this passage that was certainly not customary for a woman to do in that particular culture, in that particular time. So let's look at John 12, verses 1 to 8. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth So you may want to fill out the, the page on your, in your bulletin, the page that indicates the message notes, and this is the first one to complete and fill in the blank, that Jesus was determined to follow the will of the Father and to go to Jerusalem. Now Jesus was aware of the plot on his life. Jesus was aware that the Jewish leaders were scheming to take him. But Luke 9 51 tells us, as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. So Jesus was ready to be offered up. Jesus was ready to be given as God's sacrificial lamb so that we could be redeemed, so that we could come in contact with God. So Jesus came to Jerusalem, and Jesus came to this particular place, the place of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And as John writes here, Lazarus was the one whom Jesus had raised from the dead after he had been dead for four days. So imagine, if you will, the dinner party that is being served in Jesus' honor. Can you hear the soft conversation that is taking place around the table? And Lazarus, the writer, makes a point of saying, Lazarus was there with the other dinner guests. Now perhaps they were surprised that he was there, but indeed he was, and it was as plain as day that it was this man who had been resurrected from the dead. He was a full participant in the party, in the dinner that was being given for Jesus. He was not relegated to some back room or some other place in the house. Instead, he was reclining there around the table with Jesus and the friends of Jesus. We can imagine that Lazarus was leaning back on his elbow next to Jesus and he was reclining there as Jesus' special friend, a place of the honored guest. We can imagine that Lazarus in his shy way probably told Jesus that he didn't really want this place of an honored guest, that he didn't really want to sit there, but Jesus gently persuaded him that indeed he should sit there beside the master. John was seated. To the left of Jesus, the place reserved for an intimate friend. And we know that indeed John was the intimate friend of Jesus. Now Martha, as is usual in the Gospels, Martha is hovering around the table. She is the one who is serving. She is the one making sure that there is plenty of food available. She is the one who is being sure that all the glasses are filled at the table. She was the serving person. And she indeed was glad that Jesus was coming to their home, to their place, and where she could be in the presence of Jesus. And that she could be in the presence of Jesus and could indicate her worship and appreciation to Jesus by offering this wonderful meal that she had prepared as she served in that way. Jesus may have been making conversation around the table. Mary was also there. And she may have been discussing with Mary the impending death that, he, that, would, be, uh, that would be part of his experience. He was probably talking individually among the dinner guests. Now, and Lazarus, as I indicated earlier, was also there. And it was not hard to stare at Lazarus. Or it was hard not to stare at Lazarus. He had been dead for four days when Jesus called him forth from the tomb. And some did not understand the signs that were mentioned in the book of John. The signs such as turning the water into wine. And there are a number of signs that John continues to lift up. And the special miracles that, that Jesus did, as, that he did as signs. But no one could deny that Lazarus was mer- very much alive that indeed Lazarus was present and was with them. As John says, Judas Iscariot was also at the table. And he was probably watching Lazarus eat. And as Judas looked right at Lazarus, and yet nothing clicked, he watched as Lazarus chewed his food and wiped his formerly blue lips with his napkin, and yet nothing clicked to bring Judas closer to the master and to call Judas toward repentance. We aren't told what was going on inside the mind of Judas as he sat there with the other disciples around the table with Jesus. Judas was really great with managing money. So the disciples had asked him. He was appointed the one to take care of the income and the expenses. He was the one in charge of the money for the disciples. It started out that as he reached into the money bag, to just take a little bit and just to borrow it, just to borrow some money from these funds. But as time went on, he helped himself to more and he did not repay it. And he became cynical and he decided that indeed as one of Jesus' disciples that he needed that money and that he was entitled to it. So it ends up that Judas stole from those who were closest to him. What a pathetic situation to be part of the master's group to be part of the disciples and yet to steal from those who are closest to him. And Judas, as he looked at Lazarus, his heart was not led to repentance. Judas' heart instead is filled with pain and disappointment because he expected the master to overthrow the Romans so that they could be free, so that the Jewish people would be free from Roman tyranny. Judas is in the presence of the miracle who was called forth from the grave, yet we don't have any any inclination, any inkling at all that his heart is awakened toward repentance. We see no expression. Instead, he's identified as Judas Iscariot, the one who will betray him. And that's how he is seen many times in the Gospels. Mary was at the table, too. And she was content to let Martha do the serving, even though this was her home. She was content to let Martha take the other part. Mary wanted to again choose the better part, to take time to converse with Jesus and to be in the wonderful presence of, of Jesus. Now Mary could have also focused on the difficulties. She also could have focused on the fact that they were living under Roman rule. But Lazarus, was, who was sitting there at the table, was a reminder that there is a power greater than all that was wrong, that indeed Jesus brings a power greater than all that was wrong, and she could look on and could be satisfied with that power found in Jesus Christ. And then Mary got up slowly and left the room as if she wanted to go get something And when she returned, she was crying. And what did she have in mind as she brought back this this alabaster jar filled with nard? And she walked over to Jesus, and she broke the long neck of the flask, and the flask contained that nard that was that grows in central South Africa. And that nard was worth a day's laborer's wages. Today, about twenty-five to thirty thousand dollars that she took and poured onto the feet of Jesus. And then all at once she took off the scarf that bound her hair, she let down her hair, and she used her hair to wipe the feet of Jesus. That is something a Jewish woman would never do, would not do in public because for a Jewish woman to let down her hair, it meant that she was a woman with loose morals. But on this day, she was not concerned about public opinion. She wanted to express her deep devotion. She wanted to express her deep feelings to Jesus, her master. And so Mary was willing to risk her reputation she was willing to risk her reputation for the master she was willing to be the subject of of gossip to be the subject of rampant gossip and all the wagging tongues in the in Jerusalem because she had let down her hair and was now considered a woman of loose morals she was vulnerable to the society, to the other people around her. And the aroma of the nard permeated every part of the house. At the beginning of this gospel, in the gospel of John, John records that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. And so it is here That the smell of the perfume, of the nard, this pungent odor, spread throughout the entire house. Mary was a woman in grief. And by this act, she identifies closely with her Lord Jesus Christ. Grieving that Jesus, grieving that Jesus, her friend, grieving that Jesus, her master, would be going to the cross, would be killed on trumped-up charges, would be arrested and put to death. John eleven fifty-seven 57 says, Meanwhile, the leading priests and the Pharisees had publicly ordered that anyone seeing Jesus must report it immediately so that they could arrest him. So Mary, out of her radical devotion to the Master, is socially out of bounds, but she does not let that stop her in expressing her devotion to the Lord. Jeff Keisner comments, quote, Mary of Bethany was not consent with socially acceptable religion. Her religion is radical. She is bold and unashamed, tender and compassionate. It does not trouble her to break with tradition and propriety. She goes against her prohibited behavior and risks herself. To do something great for God. Now, after Mary has done this, at this point, Judas piously reminds Jesus, you know, why did she do this? That Nard could have been sold for money and given to the poor. To him, to Judas, this was a tragic use of funds. There is no practical utilitarian reason that, that Jesus should be anointed prior to his burial. So Judas, instead of joining in the celebration and expressing his love to the master, was more concerned about his own financial gain. He was more concerned About, not because he cared for the poor, but because he wanted to help himself to the money that would be given to him. And shortly thereafter, according to Matthew and Mark, he arranged for the betrayal of Jesus, where he would be turned over to the scribes and he would receive the 30 paltry pieces of silver. Notice also that Jesus defended the action of Mary and saw in her gift a beautiful expression of love. Notice also the contrast between Judas and Mary. Judas was concerned only about himself, Judas was unable to see the new thing that Jesus was doing. He was unable to perceive and to celebrate with this group, with the disciples, and to see the new kingdom that Jesus was inaugurating in the midst of the scene before Christ's impending death. Judas continued to be in the grip of greed, in the grip of self, and also in the grip of Satan, greed and self and Satan. He had chosen the way of death. And instead of of Judas being commended by Jesus for his concern for the poor, Mary is the one who is commended. Notice the insensitivity of Judas toward the master. Here was the poor man who was among them. Jesus is that poor man, as we find in Psalm 41. And giving to the poor is certainly an obligation, but not one that needed to be done at a particular time. And even though Judas did not say it with good intentions, he didn't have good intentions when he said it, Judas did get it right about one thing, and that one thing is that Jesus' believers should care for and contribute to the poor. In fact, according to a recent report by UNICEF, one in three children in the United States, the richest nation on earth, one in three children live in poverty, and also the rate of the poverty is increasing since the Great Recession in 2008. And the church is called to minister to the needs of the poor. So how do we apply? How do we apply this situation? How do we apply this scripture? What we have just visualized in our minds. How do we apply this to our day and to our time? particularly this passage and also the larger context in John 11 and John 12. The first thing I would state is that faith and emotion are compatible. They are not divorced. They are compatible. In John 11:35, after Jesus comes to, to the home of Lazarus and Mary and Martha, And he discovers that Lazarus is sick. He does not get there in time. And Lazarus has died, was sick, and died. Then the scripture in the shortest verse of the Bible says that Jesus wept. John records that. Jesus openly empathized with with this grieving family. Faith and emotion are compatible. And John 11:21 says, "Martha said to Jesus, "Lord, if only you had been he- you had been here, my brother would not have died." Those two little words, two little words when we are in crisis. When we have difficulty, we think of those two little words and think how things could have been differently if only I had done this, or if only this wouldn't have happened. Those two words continue to express regret even as the sisters express regret here. Then things would be different. If only you would have been here, Jesus. Lazarus would not be dead. Number two, the second takeaway. We are not only a community learning to live and love like Jesus, we are also, as East Petersburg Mennonite Church, we are also a community learning to love Jesus. Not only learning to live and love, but also a community learning to love Jesus and express our love to Jesus. Willard Swartley says, Mary's devotion of love to Jesus invites us to let go of all that hinders our freedom to love Jesus. To let go of all that hinders us to love the Master. So the first question we should ask is what hinders us from expressing our devotion? What hinders us from loving Jesus? Is it our busyness and our lack of taking time for our devotional life lack of experiencing communion with, with Jesus, an opportunity to be in the presence of Jesus? Is it our attraction to all the other things and all the other responsibilities that we have to take care of so that we don't have time to reflect and to simply sit in the presence of Jesus? Mary's act jolts us into the priority of expressing our loving devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary didn't say, well, I'll wait till later. It seems without further ado, in, ex- in this costly perfume of twenty-five to $30,000, she anoints this to Jesus. Mary Ann Dana writes, quote, Mary doesn't wait until it's too late, until the proper time. She pours it out precisely at the time when people won't understand, when it will be seen as an eccentric extravagance. It is a protest against the order of things. In its own way, it's a protest against death itself, end quote. Some scholars suggest... That one way that we anoint the feet of Jesus today is indeed by giving of our resources, by giving our monies to the poor. We we express our devotion to Jesus by responding to the needs of the people around us because as we do it unto the least of these, we have done it unto him. Thirdly, the third takeaway, our life experiences prepare us to worship and express our love to Jesus. Prepare us to worship, not only to worship, but also to express our love to Jesus. Mary had gone through the illness and the death of her brother. And so she lost Lazarus because Jesus delayed coming to his home, to their home. And now Jesus will be put to death. She was ready to pour out this expensive perfume and to lavishly express uh, this overwhelming generosity from her own heart to express her devotion. So her life experiences and the life experience that she had just gone through in losing Lazarus now She was able to express her love to Jesus. Judas must have smelled the perfume, but he was unwilling to let go of the old ways. He was unwilling to see the new things that God was doing, that Jesus was doing. And have we been able to let go of the old parts of our lives? Have we been able to let go of the old ways and join Mary in expressing devotion Complete devotion, even though it may seem at the inopportune time, to express complete devotion to Jesus, the prophet Isaiah says, has been already mentioned in our call to worship. I am about to do to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Will we choose, my sisters and brothers? Will we choose the new way? Will we see the new thing that God is doing? Will we choose the way of Mary to follow the unexpected twist that leads to a fresh expression of our complete devotion to our Lord and our Master, Jesus Christ? Amen. May it be so.